and welcome to another episode of Last Week in Localization, um, the show where we talk about the latest from the world of localization, whether that is research, events, or news, or anything else you might uh, want to know or need to know in the area of localization. Uh, my name is Sarah Hickey, I'm your host and the VP of Research at NIMSI Insights. And today I have a very special guest, uh, my colleague Jonathan, Jonathan Otis, sorry, that was my German coming through. <laughs> good morning or good afternoon, wherever you are. <laughs> good to have you. Um, Jonathan, um, I feel like we don't see your face enough uh, on all of our NIMSI channels. So, um, but you are one of the, the geniuses working in the background, I think. So um, maybe introduce yourself briefly in case um, the people sure. don't know you. I'm not sure about genius, but I'm definitely working in the background. <laughs> so I run the M&A practice here at NIMSI. I've been here about two and a half years. Um, we've been doing lots of interesting deals um, and just working with lots of companies, um, depending on where they are in their life cycle of M&A. Um, I've been doing a lot of growth strategy as well, getting people ready. They might not want to you know, sell for a couple of years, so they might, might not be ready to buy something. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, you know, we've got a lot of people here at NIMSI working with all aspects of growth and strategy with companies, and I kind of handle that corporate development side. Okay, perfect. Uh, yeah, I would say you're definitely, well, in my humble opinion, you are the expert when it comes to M&A in the language industry. And so I thought you would be the, the perfect guest uh, for this show because um, we've seen so much M&A and investment in the last year. I mean, it's been going on for a while, but especially in the last year, it just seems like it's one after the other. Almost every week, there's another piece of news of uh, some kind of M&A deal and some kind of big investment. And um, we've talked before internally, and you've told me that it's a real uh, seller's market right now. So maybe for those who aren't as versed in this kind of uh, market and in this kind of lingo, can you explain a bit what a seller's market is? Sure. Um, you know, the rules of supply and demand work across lots of different businesses, um, including the M&A aspects of uh, globalization and localization. Um, we have um, seen so much activity that um, there's less available. Whenever there's something less available, you know, people that are selling can charge more money. They can be in control more. But I think the real reason we're in a seller's market is that um, the industry is going through a growth and consolidation phase. And the most important part of that is customers. And so customer acquisition has been very difficult over the last 18 months through COVID. You know, customers were going up and down on their demands. They weren't making a lot of changes. They're just trying to survive. And so, you know, the movement of customers between different LSPs and different service providers um, in some respects has been accelerated, especially if you needed something new. But if you didn't and you were just looking at your traditional needs, you know, people really buckled down and didn't move a lot. So customers, um, providers always need new customers to grow. They mm -hmm. should be growing half through existing customers and half through new customer acquisition. And so M&A is actually really driven in my mind tremendously from new customer acquisition. How do you get new customers? The easiest way is sometimes just to buy them. And buying a company in a certain vertical, buying a company with certain customers, We're just buying a very good company with lots of nice customers is a great way to grow your business. And so in our market, people want to grow. They want to keep growing. Um, localization, globalization is a very profitable business. 
Um, I won't say it's easy to make money, but um, there is some, a lot of money to be made. And so the demands are high on the industry, um, both for companies growing and company, people coming into the business wanting to invest, PE firms, um, VCs, and others that want to invest in the space. So all that put together, there's a lot of demand. And when there's a lot of demand, then the sellers are in a better position to sell. They make a little bit more money in the process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, this is one of the things, uh, something you touched upon there as well. Um, something we always say at NIMSI, and it's true, is that um, our industry, so the language industry, the localization industry is very um, resilient. It's very resistant uh, when in times of a crisis, not completely untouched by it. But uh, we've seen this again now during the, the pandemic that a lot of the businesses still still grew. And like we said before, language services touch uh, all other industries and there's usually always still a need for communication uh, no matter what. So it is a very good business to be in. Um, mm -hmm. And, like and we said, saw a lot of customers, we saw a lot of LSPs who grew well, but they didn't necessarily grow from customer acquisition. They grew mm -hmm. because their customers needed more. Yeah. Their customers slightly modified their go-to-markets and needed more localization around that. Um, they were in an industry that that hockey that that hiccuped up, you know, during the pandemic. So healthcare, life mm -hmm. sciences, um, e-commerce, all those, you know, were greatly um, increasing their business. But wasn't necessarily a lot of new customers going into LSPs. Yeah. And so we see a lot of. I personally believe that a lot of the acquisition activity is driven by companies who are solidifying their customer acquisition side, mm -hmm. and they're getting new customers through acquisition. Yeah, this is definitely something we've seen, like you already said, that often one of the easier ways to go into uh, a new market and find the customers there is to just buy a company in that market, I, whether that's uh, uh, a certain country or a certain vertical, if you want to branch out. I mean, we've seen all the, the big players do that. Um, and also, um, I mean, if we look at probably, this is no news anymore at this stage, but still I think relevant if we look at the the biggest acquisition in the last year is still definitely RWS and SDL. Um, right. They were from what I understand former um, rivals as well, and I guess that's one way to solve the problem as well, right? To <laughs> just that's right. join forces. That's, that's right. You know, and when you're very big, it's hard to do that. So there's a lot of top level synergies required for that. Um, but we've seen you know, that acquisition take place and the integration that followed that. So we've seen, you know, six to eight months now of, you know, integration going on between those companies and lots of changes um, in the management, um, in the direction, in the go-to-market. But, um, you know, we, we would assume and expect, you know, the customer services to be number one, and that seems to be moving forward. Mm -hmm. And how long in, in your experience, because I know you... Um consult a lot of businesses around this, you broker those deals as well. Um, how long does it usually take for a deal like that to find, uh, to take place, you know, to find the right partner? Because it, there's so many companies out there. Um, is, can it be? Well, for, for, for a seller going to market, they should expect it to take six to 12 months to find the right buyer and to get a deal to go through. Most deals take, um, you know, between six to 12 months, no matter how they get started. Um, larger deals can move very fast because the, you know, once the word gets out or once people start working on it, you know, it becomes the prime objective. Um, smaller deals get harder because um, people are always trying to buy something 
you know, with value and they want to make sure that the value is maintained during the process um, of buying. So it also depends on where the money's coming from and other things are just, this is what makes this business, this part of the business so interesting. And, and I call it so subjective in many respects um, is there's no deal, two deals that are the same. Um, there's no real formula to follow. Um, it's um, a lot of people have heard me say, it's kind of like buying a car. You know, you could walk into a dealer, decide you need a car, walk into a dealership and leave with one in an hour. Yeah. And another person who decides he needs a new car, you know, takes a year to drive 20 different models and think about it mm -hmm. and do a lot of research. And, and, you know, buying and selling companies is very much the same. It's very subjective. It's very personal, um, even though it's, it's, it's not from, from up above, but it's very personal when you actually get into the work. And, and just like, you know, localization for our customers. I mean, the strength of the customers and the relationships between suppliers and customers is all based on, you know, personal relationships, which is, you know, what drives business and what drives the whole society in many respects. <laughs> and is this then also where, you know, you, for example, or, and others as, as brokers kind of come in to, you know, you're like the, the matchmakers of the language industry, mm -hmm. really, mm -hmm. because, uh, right. you know, the market and the dynamics, but you also have to know the individual uh, companies properly, right, to allow for this kind of matchmaking so how do you yep. go about something like that usually when um companies well, i personally spend a lot of time you know with the sellers understanding the company what's make what makes them different um and and then but i also try to spend a fair amount of time with the buyers um mm -hmm. i'm always calling around to the different um, m&a groups um, meeting with ceos learning what they need learning about them um and sometimes learning not just at the high level but you know in their org You know, what are their people like? What are they looking for? Um, we, we, it's, 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 it's hard to sell a company because it's hard to get people to buy a company. Mm -hmm. um, they want everything perfect um, and nothing ever is. So, you know, our, a lot of our job is, is matchmaking, as you said, but it's also, you know, working on the no's and the yeses. Mm -hmm. um, why are you going to buy something? Why aren't you going to buy something? Understanding more about it and trying to understand the, the strategy behind it. Um, so that everything fits together. Mm -hmm. And then you can't forget about the fact that, you know, buying a company is only one step. Integrating it is another one. Yeah. And so we do try to spend time with people on the integration side. Um, uh, Alex Jarvis wrote a great article uh, about integration, how important it is. I mean, a deal isn't successful unless the integration um, is a success. Mm -hmm. And it isn't overnight. Integration takes time. doesn't matter if you're a small company, yeah. a large company. It takes time and effort. And people really need to think about that, too. Um, and so when we see big companies go together, like RWS and SDL, there's this huge integration period and it could be a lot of things. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, we recently saw TransPerfect buying comp a big company and saying how they're just going to leave it alone and just let, mm -hmm. it, let it do its thing. And so um, those decisions are hard to make and they yeah. take uh, a lot of thought um, to know how that's going to how to make sure that everything falls into line yeah and that's a that's a very good point as well that it of course uh, goes way beyond the actual just uh, the deal closing but uh, like you said if it went once it closes it has uh, this decision of whether to 
merge everything or let them run uh, on their own, uh, continue the brand or not. Uh, this has a knock-on effect, of course, of the on the existing customers, uh, maybe some future customers, the, the people in the business, uh, maybe the technology that they're using, all these kinds of things. Um, mm -hmm. So it really does have a big knock-on effect and potentially, I guess, there's um, a lot of um, change management required as well internally then afterwards to, to make everything yeah, fit. Yeah. You might different have different company cultures as well coming in, right? And I think I think this these particular items are on the mind of the buyers more than people realize and probably mm -hmm. more than even the sellers realize. And um, so we spend a lot of time working on that, getting the right information set, doing enough due diligence to make buyers comfortable. Mm -hmm. And so there's just a tremendous amount of work there. Yeah, sounds like it. Um, so I just had a question on the tip of my tongue there, but it doesn't matter um, because I have a lot more. <laughs> so it's okay. okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. So when um, you told me this before, but I don't remember the full list. You were saying that I think there were three things you always told me that um, people are looking for when they're buying a, a company. And I think it was, oh, yeah. right? People, it's, an old, it's an old list, but you're right. Well, they're looking for customers. Mm -hmm. We talked about customers a bit. They're looking for technology or differentiation. What do they do differently? Why are people buying from them? Do they have an edge on something? Do they have something I might want to sell to my customers? And then very importantly, and sometimes most importantly, is the people. Mm -hmm. You know, they're looking for good people to come with the acquisition. Where do those people fit in my organization? What can they bring? Um, they especially want to understand the salespeople and the sales team since customer acquisition is just, you know, key to success. Um, and then, you know, you know, are you a low cost operator? Do you use, you know, offshore resources? What kind of independent contractors are you using? Um, what is your back office systems? Are you using Plunet? Are you using something else? Mm -hmm. Are you using just Excel spreadsheets if you're pretty small? I mean, we don't see that much anymore, but, <laughs> but we did for a while. Um, you know, they want to understand all that so they know how things are going to integrate. And then that also allows them to figure out where they're going to save money. Mm -hmm. So if, you know, consolidating back office operations is a huge way to save money and bring another three, four, five points to the bottom line. Yeah. Um, and so you were saying earlier, um, you know, it's um, it takes a while for someone to like be convinced that they want to buy a company because of course it's a big investment. Mm -hmm. And like you said, it needs mm -hmm. to be the right fit at the same time. Um, we were saying that it's a seller's market. So meaning, you know, everyone's looking to, to buy, I guess, as well right now. So um, how do, you know, on the one hand, I'm thinking like, well, how does someone make themselves very attractive uh, for, for a buyer to reach out? Or at the same time, how does a, a buyer, can, like, how do they make themselves attractive just through money? Or is there, is there more like what can, you know, what's the recommendation there? Well, Pretty pretty much, first step of buying is the fin financial side and having a good um, financial statement and being a strong company, having strong margins, having acceptable cost structure and a bottom line or EBITDA as we always talk about. Mm -hmm. And so companies that are financially strong um, are going to sell faster, are going to sell easier. Um, the good or the bad of that is very often the financial strength is based on the scale of your organization. So sometimes smaller companies actually have a more difficult time because they have back office costs, accounting costs, mm -hmm. HR costs that they can't spread over more people. Yeah. Um, so this is where we look to get synergies and putting companies together. Um, but be it as it may, 
you want your your PL wants to look a certain way. And what it really wants to look at is flat to growing sales. And the faster it grows, the higher your multiple can be. Mm-hmm. Um, your gross margin needs to be strong. And you know, for a translation company, gross margins are between 50 and 60 percent. In interpretation, they're between 30 and 40 percent. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you look at the cost structure and everything below that, and hopefully you've got 20% left over. Mm-hmm. If you have a company with 20% EBITDA, um, on the low end, a five times EBITDA multiple will give you, times 20% will give you basically one times your revenue for a sales price. And so we work with sellers to understand their financial picture, what what should their sale price look like. I spend a lot of time working with potential sellers just on what their value is mm-hmm. and and what they should expect. Um, and um, But you know, financial strength is always a key. Good or bad, it's always going to be a key. And it's kind of the door opener on how easily you're going to sell. Makes sense because like you said, everyone's in it to to grow, right? So that's correct. Yeah. It's a business. It's not a game. It's not a exactly. it's not a party. Not a it's charity. a business. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's a business. And so we're here to make money and the customers are here to make money and the buyers absolutely want to make sure that when they buy yeah. something, they're going to make money from it after the after they buy it. Okay. That actually brings me to two more questions. So one, um, <laughs> um, so like you said, we, we're seeing a lot of this M&A and investment activity and um, kind of like, why now? I mean, especially in the last year, there's been so much. Is it a coincidence that it falls into the time where, you know, the pandemic is is challenging for some businesses and maybe reshuffling some bits in the industry? Is that a coincidence? Is that related? Or just in general, what, what other reasons are there from your point of view that right now we're seeing so much investment in M&A? Yeah, I don't think there's any one reason. Um, an overused adage is, you know, could be considered a perfect storm mm-hmm. where, you know, we have a, a lot of mature language businesses that um, whose owners and managers are, you know, nearing retirement age. We've got um, the pandemic, which accelerated certain needs um, and also freed up, you know, resources and capital. We've got the capital markets, which our interest rates are super low. So that is driving everybody and and, um, countries are trying to to increase investment in their countries. So there's a lot of money available, which I think is probably the biggest reason why you see a lot of activity. Um, And you know, and I think it's just a, if I didn't say this again, and I'm sorry, you know, it's a profitable industry. And Mm -hmm. so people who make money and are making good money want to make more. (laughs) They want to grow. People in the industry want to grow. And so that's just natural. And and it it causes the consolidation that occurs. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, in many respects, that just shows the health of the industry. And and then we have a lot of new companies, new investors coming in as well. While this industry has been, very much controlled by the PE firms and the PE industry itself. We have new PE firms entering the language services space all the time. Mm-hmm. And, and that's great. So that drives, you know, more demand for companies and, and more demand. Um, yeah, I was going to ask as well, what exactly that means, because from what I understand, usually a PE company, they go in to invest and then, you know, usually the, after a while, then they want to sell again to get like their money's worth. So ultimately, this mm-hmm. drives more 
M&A again, right? Also with uh, that's correct. maybe down the line, but still. And also, of course, initially when they bring in the investment, that's also money that will be spent again in the language industry and maybe other services or more expansion, more companies being bought. Um, so what is the overall effect or of more PE companies coming into the, our like our space? Well, <laughs> um, I think you've, you've had, you think you did a good overview yourself, so <laughs> hopefully I won't repeat too much, but I'm learning, <laughs> you know, PE firms um, invest other people's money. Their job is to grow that money. Um, PE firms invest in every industry, you know, every segment, whether it be real estate, manufacturing, electronics, cars, tech, you know, language services. Um, They like language services because it is service-oriented business. It's mm -hmm. Not a lot of barriers to entry, um, not a lot of capital requirements to grow the business. Um, and there's a lot of technology coming in, which is lowering costs, um, which allows you to make more money as well. And so, but you do see PE firms um, are, they're fairly risk averse. That's why they're not called VCs. So VCs are the ones who love risk and make huge bets, but get huge returns when they come out. The e-firms make big bets, but their job is to make money and make cash for their, for their owners. Mm -hmm. You know, every PE firm has an owner of that firm, whether it's the hundred people who invested or a family trust or whatever. Um, their job is to do that. And so they want to do it with the least amount of risk and the, and the highest return. So they look for industries that are cash positive industries, cash generating industries, um, and service industries tend to do that. Um, they generate a lot of cash based on, you know, human effort and technical effort and not a lot of capital expenditure. Mm -hmm. And so, and based on the, ric the risk averseness of each individual firm, they're going to enter the market at different levels and, and buy different kinds of assets. And so we'll see VCs buying um, I'm sorry, CPE firms buying distressed assets and trying to turn them around and grow them. We'll see ones who are selling very mature assets um, and selling them to people that are wanting things with a little bit less risk involved. Mm -hmm. So um, in addition to, you know, LSPs buying other LSPs, we've got PE firms buying them. Yeah. We have VCs investing in different areas of the marketplace. So it's just those dynamics just keep everything moving. Yeah, so it's in, it's incredibly busy. It's really dynamic right now. Mm -hmm. And for example, if I if I'm actually just going to pull this up here in case people haven't seen it, our NIMSI 100. Um, there's our ranking, and um, I'm actually already excited now to see what this is going to look like next year, because I feel like we've seen more reshuffling than before. Now already. Right now, um, RWS should be up here uh, where TransPerfect is, or maybe not because TransPerfect is buying again now as well. Mm -hmm. So who knows? Mm -hmm. um, we don't know yet how that's going to play out. And maybe more companies will also disappear from the middle here. And something we've talked about before is that it's crazy how these are the top 100 positions in the language industry. And up here, we will be close to a billion next year in the, the number mm -hmm. one position. And then when we go all the way down, Oh, actually, let's not go all the way down first. We'll look at position number 10. We're already down to around uh, 200 million. Then uh, at position 50, we're at 34 million. And then in no the position 100, we're down to 12 million. So it's crazy sometimes to me to think that on the top, 
we have companies that are really in the in the billion area like scraping that or a half a billion and and then it drops all the way down to 12 million um, mm -hmm. in just a hundred positions so I'm wondering though with all the of course there's a lot lot more companies we know that this is maybe about mm -hmm. uh, 15 to 20 percent depending on how we uh, look at the market but uh, I'm wondering how this ranking is going to look next year as well. If we have more of this consolidation on the top, um, you know, will the 100th position be smaller because there's just fewer companies um, or, you know, this big gap in the middle or how is that going to play out? You think with the um, companies rolling up and is the middle going to be bought up? I, yeah. Well, the numbers are going to grow. Um, so I think that the 100th place won't necessarily fall in size. Mm -hmm. I'd like to see it go up a little bit as companies are growing and, and everything. Um, but yes, you're going to get consolidation up above. Um, and, you know, that's, you know, that's characteristic of, of a mature marketplace yeah. um, where there's so much consolidation going on. And, um, and we're going to see some of these companies disappear and not necessarily disappear into um, other LSPs, but they could disappear into other service providers. Yes. Um, other other people that use enough of it that they might pick some of these companies up to have them mm -hmm. internal for a piece of technology or other thing. Um, the other thing that that we don't really show easily enough, um, you know, is you know which ones are pure services, which ones are technology. Yeah. And and so That's I know we're point. doing a lot more work on that internally. Mm -hmm. um, Sarah, you've done a great job. Everyone should know Sarah owns this mm -hmm. NIMSI one hundred. Oh, she you. spends hundreds and hundreds of hours on it with the help and, of the team, though. Yeah. You do a great job in, in <laughs> managing that team, wrangling that team. Um, so, but, uh, you know, it's it's going to consolidate more, um, but I think the numbers are going to continue to grow as the industry grows and people have to mm -hmm. realize that. And we have, you know, just huge market pressures for more localization work. Um, and, yeah. you know, 5G is going to break this thing wide open as Absolutely. just, you know, everyone's... Um, you know, the whole bandwidth of the internet goes up and we just see more and more services and more and more sales and e-commerce getting wider and wider and, you know, people using resources all around the world to do their job. And I yeah. think the pandemic has really shown that work at home work works, but yeah. now work at home can go international and work at home going international requires localization. Exactly. And um, that will just continue to drive the business like crazy. Yeah, I completely agree. And I like some of the points you made there as well that, um, on the one hand, you know, um, we're seeing more consolidation within uh, the industry so that there's LSPs buying other LSPs, but it can, it's also starting to come in from the outside and not just in the form of PE firms. But for example, we saw Stratus Video being bought up by AMN Healthcare. Um, so that's a overall mm -hmm. health care staffing uh, company uh, who've bought uh, the uh, like Stratus Video, uh, one of the largest interpreting providers in the world. So they're currently not on our ranking. Um, they will be back there with, through AMN language services. Um, and I find it very interesting that it's it's starting, we're starting to see it more and more that people from outside the language industry are getting very interested in the language industry and are seeing the potential in there as well. There, a, com a large company's use of language internally can drive the need to have a fairly large department and that can drive the need for a piece of specific technology. And so you'll see, you know, when I'm selling companies, I, I have what I call the non-traditional list of mm. potential buyers. So we're calling on the service nows and 
um, you know, people providing services, billion, multi-billion dollar companies whose service levels are so large and so wide and so geographic that they could absorb a $20 million language technology piece internally and just use it internally because they're driving their 10, 20, $30 billion worth of revenue and having a $10 million piece of software in there um, is, is um, exactly what they need. And so I spend a fair amount of time looking at non-traditional buyers, talking to non-traditional buyers, Mm -hmm. CTOs and VPs of engineering on technology and buying technology out of the space, proven technology, technology that's, driven two, three, four, five million dollars worth of revenue a year, but can fall inside a company and and do a, a lot more damage. Yeah, and so. like like you said already um, as well, you know, we in this list and then just in general in the industry, we've seen a lot more like maybe the traditional LSPs who've added uh, a tech side to their business. And we're also seeing mm-hmm. traditional tech companies adding a service side. So there's mm-hmm. more and more this like meeting in the middle of uh, service and technology. And we write about this in the NIMSI 100 a little bit as well, that um, companies in general, they're, they're branching out a little bit as well. So to become more like these strategic partners for business. So that goes... Mm-hmm. beyond language services. Language services are still at the heart of it, but it goes also beyond that to help their clients grow again, which is always in the end, the ultimate goal, like to reach the, right. the end users in the different markets so that the business can grow. Um, so that's yeah. that'll be a really interesting space to watch. And um, something else I always find fascinating, and this might be obvious for some, and again, we've written about this, but if we look at the list here, um, not even all of the big players or in the, are, are competing in exactly the same space. They're all in the language industry. But if we look, for example, Language Line Solutions, about 95% of their revenue is from interpreting services. But uh, mm-hmm. TransPerfect and LineBridge, they're not really involved in interpreting. They have a whole different focus. Then Keywords is <laughs> all about gaming, really. Uh, Appen is mostly about data. Then we have uh, SDI and Ayuno that also since then have uh, merged. Um, they're in the media localization space. So I find it very fascinating that in the language market uh, there isn't just you know it's like you said it's growing all the time but also in like different areas so that it allows for a lot of different big players who can Mm -hmm. dominate different spaces within the language industry so there isn't just like technically there's one on top but there isn't really just one on top because depending on what you need there's different ones right maybe the best way to say that is you know the largest player is a billion dollars but they're a billion dollars within a $50 billion market space. Yeah. And so you could say, you know, is that, is there any monopoly issues there? Is there, <laughs> is there consolidation issues there? Yeah. Really there isn't. Yeah. There's a huge amount of demand. Um, we, you know, people should realize Nimsy, half of Nimsy's customers are the enterprise buyers mm-hmm. who buy from all these companies. So we spend a lot of time on the buy side or the buyer's side working with yeah. them. And so we understand that. I think that helps the M&A practice because we understand what the buyers are buying mm-hmm. um, better than some. And so that helps us actually sell companies and match companies better um, exactly. as they look for them. Yeah. But um, understanding the buy side in the, in the buyer objectives, the end user objectives, the enterprise objectives is important. Um, and that's what's really driving the overall business. So when you see an enterprise customer actually buying a language services piece of technology, that's a little bit of what you were talking about. And mm-hmm. I think that is super interesting and will yeah. continue as well. Yeah, I find that super fascinating that there's so much coming in also. That it's not just happening in the industry, but that there's so much more coming from outside the industry. Mm-hmm. 
I think that's mm -hmm. very telling about um, how active this market is, how much it is growing. And something I pointed out before as well, that uh, to me also, especially in the last year, I find like we've seen a bunch of language services go more mainstream. Before, when I talk mm. to friends of mine about what I'm doing or what we're doing, some of it was very abstract. Like people would get it, but you yeah. know, it's like all these language yeah. services. Whereas now well, more people use remote interpreting, more people know what, you know, they use like the streaming platforms with subtitling and dubbing and all this. And this might be easy examples, but still, you know, the, it's going more mainstream into the to individuals right. a bit as well. And we're and we're and we're going to see the continued effect of technology. Mm -hmm. So you know, AI has generated MT. MT, you know, has gone mainstream. You know, yeah. whether people admit it or not, it's gone mainstream. But there's a lot of other AI technologies and use of AI that's going to come into the language space. That's you know, not necessarily MT itself. Mm -hmm. And we're going to see that driving the industry more yeah. and more. And so technology players are going to play you know a much more important part. Of, of what's going forward and customers are getting smarter. They're understanding these technologies better. They're driving their suppliers to use them more and more. Um, and while everyone's afraid of, you know, costs going down, you know, the revenue, total revenue isn't. Mm -hmm. So while cost per word, you know, has a lot of pressure on it. Total words is going up so fast that it's just yeah. volumes. Yeah. yeah. Volumes and, and volumes. Exactly. And it's also um, everything has become a bit more, um, I don't know how to phrase this, but like personal bit through, through like, you know, brands are also advertising on social media these days to the individual consumers. And, uh, you know, you were mentioning 5G earlier. These days, pretty much everyone has a smartphone. And then once 5G is implemented and we can all stream stuff within seconds or play um mobile um, video games uh, with a very good connection that will drive more demand for localization. Again, this is an area where it'll become more about the end user as well. And a little mm -hmm. bit more personal, where more people have actual contact with language services, which is great, first of all, because of course we all want uh, this access uh, and breaking down language barriers is what we talk about all the time. But it's also mm -hmm. just allowing brands to really reach end users better and um, you know, there, there's so much, so many different languages and millions and billions of people who have very little content for now in their own language, but that are all pos potential uh, consumers and that can be reached better. Our project underwear shows that, right, as well. Um, yeah, yep. lots of research there. Exactly. <laughs> so, yep. yeah, I mean, I, I know we already touched upon lots and lots of different topics now, but just in your expert opinion on the M&A and investment front, <laughs> how do you see um, the market developing in the next year and in the next five years? Sorry, I put oh, you on the spot. <laughs> well, I think we're going to see, you know, lots of deals continue through this year, the end of this year and into next year, um, driven by all the different things we've talked about, just retirements and technology needs and growing and, as long as capital costs stay low, you know, we're going to continue to see lots of investments. I think that we're going to see a resurgence in technology. Mm -hmm. There's just too much technology being developed to ignore. Um, um, and, you know, a technology company that can start to show revenue, can start to show traction, is going to become very attractive to others. And so for those companies who are in the technology space or consider themselves a laying tech company, um, you know, their job is to get their revenue stream started, put everything in, making sure that customers need what they have, want what they have, 
that their product works well. And I think they're going to get picked up again. While we've seen, I think, a little bit of a downturn in people wanting to buy technology, um, I think that's going to turn around. Mm-hmm. And I would say, you know, next, you know, the rest of this year and next year, you're going to see a lot of technology pieces start to move um, as as people realize their engineering orgs need help. Um, you always need to keep expanding that. You need expertise um, in those orgs. You need to take proven products and take them to scale. Some people are great at developing them. Some people are great at selling them. <laughs> Putting those two together is really what our matchmaking is about. Yeah. Um, because good salespeople need good products to sell, and they need new products to sell. They need mm. differentiated products to sell. So I think some of the larger orgs, while they poo-poo a lot of million-dollar technology buys and things like that, um, I think you're going to see a lot more of them happening than you realize. And those companies that can push through and start their revenue stream and show that they've got something different and, and are using technology in a different way, are using much more AI versus other things, mm-hmm. or doing MP in a new way, um, you know, that brings higher quality. Um, you're going to see those companies get bought up and, and people that are sticking to traditional methods um, are going to be scrambling. Mm-hmm. And um, or uh, and as we've got Microsoft and Google and Amazon applying pressure as they bring out new technologies yeah. and things on the sides and make it easier and easier for customers to use them instead of LSPs. So the LSPs have to modify themselves to make, you know, go to market easier, uh, user experience better, easier, quicker, higher quality, yeah. do things quicker, faster, cheaper. You know, that's the name <laughs> of the game. Yeah, definitely not a market where you can just uh, snooze and stand still because uh, it's just too dynamic. For sure. <laughs> so. For sure. <laughs> okay. Um, I checked and I don't see any um, comments, but maybe I should have also mentioned that people can post comments and questions directly. I forgot to say that. Uh, um, I'm just not sure, though, if that's also um, because I'm not working the tech. Well, hopefully everybody's out on vacation. Yeah, Enjoying exactly. August. Enjoying some sunshine somewhere. That would be nice. Um, Well, okay. Well, I've asked um, all of my questions and I feel like I've learned a lot. It's always great to chat with you, J.O. We never do it. My pleasure. (laughs) I always enjoy getting on with you and I'm happy to do it again anytime. Awesome. So is there anything, any any final words or have have we said it all? I feel like we talked a lot. I, I think we've said it all. Yeah, I think so too. Okay. Well, okay. in that case, uh, thank you so much for joining. Um, I'm going to play my little outro here now. Uh, thank you. Oh, a little bit too early. Sorry, J.O. <laughs> right. Bye, everybody. <laughs> Great to have you. <laughs> Bye. Yeah.